through obstacle can come opportunity. And if we can look at it from that perspective, so through anxiety, what is the opportunity? What is the message? What is the thing that will help me grow and learn in this situation? And and yes, you're absolutely right. I think everybody would love to, again, do away with anxiety, rainbows and unicorns, right? We don't have any of these terrible feelings. Again, though, they're just giving us information of what's important to us. So if we did away with them, we wouldn't actually experience all of life. Hello and welcome to Overcoming Anxiety with Dawn Morgan. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. My guest today is Carmeny Wood. She's a certified life coach who helps high achievers heal their relationships with themselves. She helps them take courageous steps in identifying limiting beliefs, reasons for stagnation and overcoming self-doubt in order to live fulfilling professional and personal life. Carmeny, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you so much. I am doing wonderful. I hope you are as well. Yes, I am. I am. Well, this podcast, this show is all about overcoming anxiety. And I know you've got a great story to tell. So over to you so that we can hear it. <laughs> well, thank you, Dawn. Um, my story actually begins with little little comedy um, growing up in a small town in Connecticut a little Indian girl in a predominantly white town. Uh, Her parents are immigrants and she had one sister and really struggled to fit in um, because her name was different and she looked different. And so from a very early age, um, I experienced that need to try to figure out how to belong, how to find ways to engage others to want to bring me into their circle. And so for me personally, that uh, led to generally a lot of people pleasing and a lot of doing for others in order to have them feel good or happy because in my own little person's mind, that meant then they would be my friend. In addition to that, being the daughter of immigrant parents who are working really hard to provide for my sister and I, um, there was a part of me that did not ever want to be a burden to them. And so that also led to a lot of perfectionist tendencies Mm -hmm. because with that, if I didn't mess up or I didn't fail or I didn't need to need their help with something, for instance, I knew that I wasn't burdening them because they were already doing so much. I didn't realize any of this was happening at the time, right? I'm five or six years old. Um, Only later in life did I realize that the stories that I had internalized was that I needed to please others and do for others in order to prove my worth, or I needed to be perfect and not be a burden to others. And you take those two things and guess what? You have a lot of anxiety. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think the, um, the cultural aspects of coming from a, a different culture, effectively your parents, even though you you were brought up in the US, but if you know, if you your parents, did they bring a lot of different cultural expectations with them? So that's a really great question. Um my mom actually came here when she was 13. So she oh, pretty okay. much assimilated a lot into the it wasn't that she lost her cultural heritage, but she was more open to to ways of how the American, quote unquote, American culture yeah. was. Now, having said that, did they have certain old, what I refer to as old school ideas? Absolutely. And for me personally, that was also the, that it wasn't, um, I wouldn't say it was trouble or a problem. I don't want to deem it as that, but there was definitely an identity of how do you sort of match the, some of the cultural expectations with also being brought up in the United States and, you know, not having all of the same 
the same cultural identities. Like, so for instance, in Connecticut, there weren't temples at the time that I was being brought up. So any type of um, religious activity was just done within the house and it was done within our close network of of family. Um, So that again, just contributed to finding your own way, finding your own identity within this cross-cultural, I really, for me, it's a cross-cultural identity. Um, And so as I grew up um, and I became a mom of five myself, I started witnessing my own kids exhibiting the people-pleasing perfectionist tendencies. And for me personally, that was a catalyst to, to recognize that they were getting that from me, right? It was watching me, seeing how I was showing up. Um, and so that's when I really kind of took that step back and said, what do I need to do to potentially shift how I'm, first of all, seeing myself, how I'm showing up and recognizing that it was holding me back in certain aspects. Um, not that my life was terrible by any stretch, but, you know, from a professional standpoint, I had taken on, um, I was a project manager was in the dot-com industry, took all of that knowledge and ended up running my husband's law practice, which was amazing because I got to really work with individuals on helping them figure out how they wanted to grow and expand. That's actually my first sort of step into coaching was within that, that um, hat that I was wearing. But also what happened during that time was this realization that I was continuing to play behind the scenes, right? It was my husband's dream to have that law firm. And so it wasn't that I, I, I don't look at that with any negativity at all, but that was the the transformation that was happening for me was it's okay for me to step into what I truly want and need and my dreams. And through that whole process was this recognition that I was being called to actually work with individuals on finding these limiting beliefs, these, these self-doubts, the old false narratives, finding ways to recognize where anxiety and stress are holding people back and helping them figure out ways to, to shift some of that so they can move themselves forward. And lo and behold, that's where my practice started about six years ago with I've started my, my one-on-one practice. I would say that I've been coaching people probably for the last 20 plus years while being yeah. in the working world. <laughs> I think it's sort of ingrained in you. Isn't it? it was the same for me when I was working corporate, you know, I was always developing teams and coaching people yep. to do better in their jobs and, and, and all of that. And I think, you know, when we touched on, on culture earlier, you know, I think it's, I, I live in Spain now. I'm British and I live in Spain. I've lived in other countries and, you know, every even throughout the uk you know there's different cultures in different parts of the country you know we see things differently we we have different expect expectations you know and the expectations of my family um were very different to some of my friends and so you know the when i you know there is the culture of a you know completely different country and moving to another but there's also just within your own town or your own um area people experience because it's about their beliefs it's about their um the modeling that they see it's about the what they're exposed to as young children that becomes a culture even if it's not sort of necessarily recognized as most of us would recognize culture yes 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 that's very true and i I love what you're saying too because when i'm referring to how what affects us a lot of times i will say it's not just society there's the four pillars of society but there is the cultural familial and then of course our own personality right and all of those things create those core beliefs and those core values and yeah. and that's really and, and it is so we could be within a certain community and that we completely are different from our next door neighbor or even our best friend's family 
um, just yeah. in terms of those those traditions. Absolutely. So, so what did you start to do then? So, once you recognised that you were um, your children were taking on your personality or the the bits of your personality you didn't want them to take on, what did you start to do? For me, it was a lot of work. I, I really utilized self-compassion during that process. Uh, that's when I actually first stumbled on the idea of self-compassion um, because I, as a perfectionist, I'm also a high achiever. And so it would be really easy to fall into judgment, right? Just let the judge take over and criticize. And for me, the work was really around, okay, this is who I've been. This is where the story, and that was part of the work too, is where does it come from? You know, a lot of people will talk to me about, well, how is coaching different from therapy? Cause I don't want to just sit and talk about my past. And the way that I always refer to that with people is it's not about psychoanalyzing your past with coaching, but we do take information from the past and bring it into the awareness of present day. Right. And for me, that's what the work was, was, oh, wow, these are the narratives that I've been living by. Like the narrative of I have to please other to others to prove worthiness was the core belief because underneath it was this false belief that I wasn't good enough just as I was. Once I was able to become aware of that, then it was through self-compassion and through just committed action about how I'm going to show up for myself and what I'm going to, for me, it was a lot about boundaries. What are you going to say no to versus what yes. are you going to say yes to? Yeah. And and so people will joke with me and say, was it hard? Did your husband get mad at you when you left the firm? And the honest answer is absolutely. It was difficult to bring that to the, to the forefront. You know, I could, I could fake it and say, oh, it was perfectly fine and everything was great. But as a people pleaser, that was really difficult for me to open up and say, this is what I really want to do. So that encompasses basically what I was doing through that self-transformation was being able to speak up, know what I needed and wanted, and then actually taking action and putting words behind it and sharing it with others. And it is hard, isn't it? When you start putting boundaries in place, when you start making changes in your life, some of the people in your life are not going to go on that journey with you. Yes. Yes. When I talk about setting boundaries, a couple things. One, definitely be ready. You know, it's not going to be easy. And so you have to give yourself that kindness where you give yourself the time to, to get yourself prepared because to your point, there are going to be individuals who are not happy with the boundaries that you're setting. And what my response to that is, those are the people that were benefiting from the lack of boundaries in the first place. (laughs) I actually had that conversation with somebody earlier today about that because they were so scared about sort of standing their ground on a point because they were so worried about losing some friends. And I said, yeah, but true friends, you won't lose. Right. Right. They might be, it might be awkward or there might be a little bit of discomfort as they are getting used to the new boundaries. The metaphor I used for that is like throwing a pebble into the water. There's going to be ripples, but eventually the water settles back down. And the same thing happens with those true friends. There might be those ripples, the the uncomfortability of this is new. I'm not sure what to do here, but if they're true friends are absolutely going to settle in with you and everything becomes the new normal. It's the people that aren't willing to accept it, that then you can take a step back and step into observing and say, was this really a relationship that was serving me or from or living into my highest and best? And of course, the, the normal human instinct is to stick with what's familiar. So, you know, we, we want to stay in that, you know, our anxiety will show up if we start stepping out of the familiar because it's sort of saying, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> come, back, yeah. come back into this nice safe space. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And there's so many of it, you know, we, we almost, we want to do away with anxiety yeah. and, and the, 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 
the truth of it all is that we can't get rid of all anxiety. And to be fair, some anxiety actually keeps us safe. It's the the stuff that keeps us from getting run over by the bus across the street. (laughs) And and actually, anxiety, when it's not overwhelming, is very helpful. But it's, it's when it gets to that point where it's stopping you doing something through absolute fear when it makes you freeze or makes you want to sort of cower in the corner that's when it's an issue up until that point it's actually I find it very useful it reminds me I I talk about as anxiety is almost like your little um built-in diary or calendar that's sort of saying hey remember remember you said you were going to do this (laughs) remember you've got that appointment remember Remember that talk you gave me the other day about, you know, getting fitter and actually doing something every day? You know, I'm going to remind you about that. <laughs> it's, it's like this little voice. Um, yes. And we have to yeah. learn to listen to it, don't we? We learn to have to, you know, the feelings come up, you mm-hmm. know, and, and again, same conversation this morning. It was about sort of saying, well, when the feelings come up, be curious about what your that anxiety and that anxiety, not your anxiety, that anxiety is trying to tell you. Yes. And, and it it really is that I think when we are really working with anxiety, one of the things I I will really encourage people to do is actually speak out loud. First of all, because when we actually hear our own selves and witness ourselves, it just, we're able to step into observer mode because what happens otherwise is we're fused to the anxiety and we do, we take it on as like, that's me. And instead it's just, these are anxious thoughts. And so put words to it. I'm noticing the thought that, or I'm noticing anxiety over. And then exactly what you said, get curious about it. You know, yeah. what is this about? It's, it's what we do with emotions. You know, instead of pushing emotions away, if we can recognize that they're just data packets, they're just information giving us uh, the three things that, that emotions do communicate, illuminate, and motivate. Right. Yes. So it's the same concept with anxiety. It's, it's communicating something. So instead of running away from it, let's get curious with it and let's figure out what it actually is trying to communicate to us and illuminate what we might need, or maybe a value is not being met. And then it will motivate us to take committed action, to live into what it is that we actually want. Um, I'm working with a young woman right now um, Mm -hmm. who really struggles with consistent anxiety. And one of the conversations we just recently had is instead of trying to get rid of it, can we can we just go towards it ever so slightly and just start getting in that in the morning? What is that? What is it trying to tell you? What is the need? And that one little slight tweak in that one question has allowed her to almost be not befriended. I don't want to say she's friends with her anxiety just yet, but it allows the door opening instead of it being, let me run away from this. How can I utilize this to take action during my day? That is actually meaningful to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the curiosity thing is quite interesting because, you know, I, I say, you know, maybe you've got a five-year-old who's throwing a bit of a tantrum. You don't run away from them. You don't ignore it. You don't try and stifle it. You're curious. You're sort of thinking, well, what's behind that? What, what, what is it they're trying to express? And anxiety is the same thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And to your, to your metaphor there or analogy there, if you try to stifle that five-year-old who has a temper tantrum, it's just going to get louder. Yes. <laughs> he, yeah, he's yeah, going to yeah. scream louder or she's going to scream yeah. louder, right? That didn't work. I better get louder. And, and anxiety does the same thing, doesn't it? You know, it might go away for a little while. You might be able yes. to do something to, to calm it right there and then. Mm-hmm. 
but it's that reminder for to listen to hear just like that five-year-old is going to say that didn't work so next time i'm going to be louder and i'm going to scream more and i'm going to throw things and until you take some notice of me yes exactly exactly it's Mm -hmm. um but we all we have this idea so so much of the time that life is all rainbows and unicorns Mm-hmm. And of course it isn't, you know, the whole idea of life is that we, the human experience is about all the ups and downs and enjoying, you know, the, the ups are so, so much better when we are able to experience those extremes of feelings and emotions and everything else. But that does mean that we've got to have the, the lows as well. Absolutely. It's the same, it, you know, there's two sides to the coin. We can't yeah. have love, for instance, without pain, right? Yes. Because we wouldn't know what love is if we didn't know what pain was. We yes. we can't, we need to recognize that we have both yes. and through obstacle can come opportunity. And if we can look at it from that perspective, so through anxiety, what is the opportunity? What is the message? What is the thing that will help me grow and learn in this situation? Yeah. Um, and, and yes, you're absolutely right. I think everybody would love to, again, do away with anxiety, rainbows and unicorns, right? We don't have any of these terrible feelings. Again, though, they're just giving us information of what's important to us. So if we did away with them, we wouldn't actually experience all of life. No, exactly. And wouldn't life be really boring if we were just sort of stuck in the middle of these all these emotions? We would just be like robots. We would be exactly. unfeeling beings. And, you know, that... that that funny movie or the scary movie or the sad movie just wouldn't evoke any emotions in us. And that would, that would be so sad. It would be, it would be boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So after this sort of starting to move into all this, this sort of discovery, what happened next? Well, honestly, Dawn, for me, it was taking that discovery and owning it and recognizing that it was okay, giving myself permission that it was okay to do that thing outside of the comfort zone and put myself out there. And well, to be fair, I didn't just do that. I mean, I went through training. I absolutely trained and trained and trained. I mean, I I have gone through various modalities because for me... I own it. I'm, I am a high achiever. I want to know things. I love to learn. I love to learn more and continue to challenge myself. So I definitely went through that prior to stepping out and saying, here I am ready to help people. But the truth is once I got there, I did, I owned it. It was scary. It caused a lot of anxiety. And also I met that anxiety with the idea of excitement and what could be possible. And from there, I've grown this coaching practice and working with these amazing individuals um, and really helping them see their own, that own inner being, like really helping them with that core identity and recognizing that they don't have to be defined by things like stress or anxiety or shame. That's another one that I work a lot with, um, in self-doubt. It's all about what's actually true about them and giving them permission to truly honor their own essence as their worth. And what I mean by that is, for me, because of my experience, I know that that I'm not good enough is such a common one in terms of a false belief. And that I'm not good enough leads to so much anxiety. They're so intertwined. And so really I've, I've truly grown this practice into working with individuals on how to, how to move out of that old narrative and into this new one that's actually true for themselves. Um, And I will say that it is absolutely rewarding. I, I do 
get into my day and we get to the end of the day and I'm just kind of like, where did the day go? <laughs> because it is just, it, it's not just personally rewarding. It's, I, it just watching individuals when I meet with them and seeing that their faces light up when they, they have those shifts and those insights, mm-hmm. it's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm with you on that. You know, when, when you see, when you can help somebody to that, that degree when they actually get their life back or they get their life back on track you know it's like this um releasing them from the holds of anxiety or limiting beliefs or or whatever it is um that they are experiencing and yeah it's just giving them their lives back their lives back Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah i'm absolutely with you on that It's, it's the most amazing feeling in the world um, it is a great, it, it, it's an amazing feeling. And the other thing that I've learned along the way is that all of us deal with this in different ways, right? Like it's not yes. just executives, for instance, who have yeah. this issue or just, you know, um, you know, maybe potentially uh, women or men who are stay at home parents. It, it does not, it doesn't have that, that, that core belief of I'm not enough can affect all of us. Yes. It just affects us in different ways. Absolutely. Um, so for instance, you know, what we can, I could be working with an executive who's been, had great success, but really lurking behind it is the whole time is imposter, this imposter syndrome of I'm not good enough and pushing them forward. Is there this anxiety or this inner critic that says, if you let the anxiety go, you're not going to actually achieve what you have been achieving. Yeah. So it's just, it's recognizing that all of us, we all have these things happening and all of us can benefit from doing that work. No, absolutely. And and the thing is when you when you're constantly moving forward because you're a high achiever, you're living in that future place. You're never actually living in the here and now. And you know, that was part of what I I did and that's where I recognized my anxiety because I was always planning for all the what ifs. Right, right, right. Living, you know, I was a single parent, three young children, and I would, you know, not a great deal of money. So I was always having contingencies, thousands of contingencies mm-hmm. in my head for what mm-hmm. if. Mm-hmm. But because of that, because I was always up in my head worrying about all these things that might go wrong. Mm-hmm. Most of them didn't ever go wrong. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, which was a big realization for me at, at, at a certain point in my life. But up until then, I was just living in in the the future all the time, in this yes. sort of imagined future. So mm-hmm. a lot of the things that my adult children now say to me, "Do you remember when?" And I say, "No, don't remember." And it's because I wasn't present. Right. Yes. Yes. There's a lot I do remember. So it wasn't that I wasn't ever present because I was. Right. 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 But there was a there big those chunk times. of it yes. was just yes in mm-hmm. the in the future in in my head in the non-existent space. Um, I absolutely can relate to that because there, there were, I absolutely relate to that. I know that when I was going through my own work, one of the things that I had this realization of was there was several summers, summer vacations where I actually didn't have a great recollection of what we did as a family, for instance, because very similar to you, I was always future focused and worrying about, okay, well, what's next and what's next and what's next. And then what will we do? And then if that happens, then let me come up with another plan for that. I absolutely relate to that. Yeah. And, and it is, it's about coming back to this moment here now. And that's why I really say that self-compassion was a huge game changer for me because one yeah. of the elements of self-compassion is mindfulness. It's about being in the present moment yeah. versus constantly future tripping. I know it's great. And you know, the people pleaser thing, I, I, I 
can resonate with that completely. I remember my wedding. I was very young when I got married, but I don't remember my wedding because all I remember is making sure I was so concerned that everybody else was going to have a good time. Mm. I didn't, I don't even remember most of it. I remember a drink being spilt on me and I remember some of the speeches because obviously I had to sit and listen, but actually I don't remember it. Mm. Oh, it's a very long time ago as well, which doesn't really help, but I've never really remembered it because I was just thinking of everybody else, you know, when yeah. in theory it was my day, but I didn't like that attention. I didn't like that sort of mm-hmm. um, being the center of attention at all because my role was to make sure everyone else was fine. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes, I know. the people pleasers role, always yeah. looking out for everyone else and their needs before your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that at the time, like you, I mean, I, I, it was just, it was just what, what my life was. And, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't labeled, it wasn't analyzed. It was just, just what I did completely mm-hmm. subconsciously. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge part of it is, you know, when we're younger, they say from the ages of zero to seven, that's where all of these things get programmed into our subconscious. And then our conscious mind is filtering through those beliefs or those meanings that have been made or those narratives the rest of the time. So until we're able to do that work to bring those subconscious thoughts to the conscious, we don't really have the ability to now recognize we do have a choice point and yeah. we can we can start shifting some of those belief yeah. systems and yeah, patterns that's right. yeah and of course when i speak to people about that and they say well it, you know did my parents mess up i said all parents mess up because they can't be perfect but but at the same time you know it's not you know the parents can do absolutely everything they want you know that they can in their control to do to bring their children up in a in a, a very compassionate and and present way but you can't control how those children interpret your actions. And right. that is where some of right. the, the meaning comes from. You know, yes. you, can something, yes. you know, I, one example I, I tend to use is, you know, if, if a young child um, hears their parents having a heated debate, so there's no, um, there's no anger, but it's loud. And of course, babies mm-hmm. tradition, you know, innately are concerned about loud noises. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hearing this sort of loudness in conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and babies being very, or young children being very focused, they can't put themselves in, in the place of someone else. It's all about them. It's for them or because of them or whatever. They can interpret that as mm. their fault. And they can yes. sort of say they're fighting or arguing or all that loud noise is because of me. Because and these beliefs yeah. just they just get formed mm-hmm. out of nowhere, really, because mm-hmm. it's the mm-hmm. misinformation, the misinterpretation that children children have. Yes, it's the meaning we make of things. It's, and that's why I routinely will say to people, it's not that we're looking for these big T traumas. You know, no. yes, absolutely. With big T traumas, we're going to we're There's going to be a lot there, yes. but sometimes there's nothing like I wouldn't look back at my childhood and say there was any big T trauma. It's no. just how I had experiences or messages that I heard that then I made my own meaning of. Yes. So it's nobody's fault. It's no. just saying this, this is the meaning that I took of that. And that's a challenge for each of us is to ask ourselves that question is what meaning am I making of this? Yeah. Because if we can actually name that for ourselves, now we recognize that we are assimilating it and bringing it into our being with a certain meaning. Yeah, of course. And then we then, then we can make shifts and changes. And don't mm-hmm. we, we do that now though. Even It's not just when we were children. 
Oh, we, absolutely. You know, we, we see the world through our own lenses. So, you know, if we're, if we're in a bad mood, I used to say to my children, um, if, if I woke up and for some reason I was in a bad mood and I would recognize that. And then I would say to my children, I'm in a bad mood today. And that was their warning to don't push my buttons because I've got a short fuse today. I don't really know why I'm in a bad mood, but I am. And I know that, you know, everything you do is going to irritate me. And I could recognize that through my, it was through my own lenses. I'm in a bad mood and therefore everything's going to irritate me. And right. even though that thing that they're doing wouldn't irritate me on another day. Mm-hmm. And that is where, you know, that whole interpretation, it's that sort of, uh, you know, I consciously know I'm in a bad mood. Therefore, I'm going to consciously decide that it's not going to irritate me. It will still feel irritating because mm-hmm. that's, you know, but it, mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, it's, it's, and when we realize that, when we realize that actually we're all living life through our own lenses in our own almost separate realities, mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. you know, we let go of the idea that other people have to respond or react or or agree with our view of the world. Yes, such a great point because the truth is we all are experiencing our own reality yeah. based on our own thoughts and feelings about the thing that's happening. Yes. And so we do each have our own lens. And and it is important to recognize because sometimes some of that that conflict with other people is trying so hard to get them to agree with our point of view. And sometimes it's okay to just recognize that they, they just are seeing the world with a different lens. Yeah. And sometimes we have to release the ownership of trying to get people to completely see our ways of looking at things. Yeah. And wouldn't, Mm -hmm. wouldn't the world again be a boring place if everyone saw things the same way? You know, we'd never have to. Ha- we'd never be able to have conversations such as this. We'd never be able to have a good debate about something or or other. You know, like exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, my my kids saw things the same way. My house might be a lot quieter. <laughs> well, there is that. There is that. You know. I mean, it was interesting last night. Actually, I was talking to my son uh, about his progression through the company that he's working with, uh-huh. and I said to him, "I said, yeah, you're more like me than than." you know, you think really, because that's sort of what I did a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things I can see that in all three of my children in very different ways, you know, they've taken, they've taken bits of me, each one has taken a bit, a little different bit of me, you know, even though they're all brought up together, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they've seen different bits of me and taken that forward. So it's, it's really quite interesting from a psychological perspective, when you look at three very different children, but I can see myself in each of them a little in a bit. different way, yeah, in, different in a different ways. way. It yeah, is. Yeah. It's really actually fascinating to be able to mm. step back into observer mode and just watch that occur. I've had yes. a very similar experience with mine where I'm just, I sort of recognize, Oh, that, that was a little part that you took for me. And then a different, like my oldest daughter and my son are very similar in personality. And yet they, they've taken, it on just a little type, uh, slightly different from each other. Like it's yes. similar, but just different enough. And it's just, it's interesting for me to be able to recognize like, oh, yeah. they took that part. Like she took that part of me and assimilated it this way. And he took that part of me and, and did it this way. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and of course, that's where we can sort of step back and be curious and intrigued by it and just, you know, watch and mm-hmm. observe and you know, take a, a lot of pleasure in that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's great. 
Absolutely great. So, so uh, Kamini, how can people work with you? Um, my website is kamenywood.com. Um, and actually, if your listeners wanted just a free ebook on limiting beliefs, if they hop over to the website, um, they can actually just put in their email address and they, they'll get a free download to that, that free ebook. And of yes. course, if they want to reach out to me through social, uh, Facebook and Instagram, my handle is it's authentic me. Okay, brilliant. And we'll put all that in the show notes. So anybody who wants to contact you will have all the information there. So it's been absolutely lovely speaking to you. And I always ask my guest for three key takeaways. So if if listeners are wanting some advice or some suggestions or just some general info about your subject area, what would you give them? I would offer uh, a couple of these. These are my three big, my three big takeaways. One, that life is happening through us and for us. I routinely will really challenge people to look at opportunities as growth zones. How can I take this, this experience that I'm having and and learn from it? Um, Self-compassion is absolutely huge when we're making any changes. And also when we're dealing with something like, like anxiety, realizing that kindness over judgment is going to go much further than if we just sit and criticize ourselves. And the third takeaway is really recognizing that your gift is your uniqueness that that's what the world needs. We don't need to be carbon copies of each other. We really need to embrace the fact that our uniqueness makes us good enough as we are. That is by our mere essence, we are enough. Absolutely. Very powerful. Thank you very much. It's been great having a, a chat with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's show. Please follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Whilst you are there, please also comment and review as it helps me and other listeners know what is good and what is not. If you would like to get in touch, feel free to reach out to me via the contact details in my show notes or through Facebook at Finding Freedom Club.